0: I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The power of God. That's what I want to talk about this morning. It's all, it's all about power. I was asked uh, earlier this morning if our uh, furniture had indeed gotten here and we've got everything put away. Yes, our furniture is here. No, we haven't got everything put away. But at least it's here and uh, last week when we had COVID we didn't feel a whole lot like putting stuff away, but uh, we did we did get a few things. Um, Steve is up here giving us uh, the talk at the Lord's table and um, you know I've spent more time with, with Steve and Lisa uh, in conversation, uh, in prayer, gathered around the table eating meals, uh, sharing, Uh, just life together and 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 laughter and uh, I looked up and I saw Steve and I thought man I I really love that guy Um, even though he gave me COVID I still (laughs) still like him still love him Um, not going to take out vengeance going to leave that to the Lord vengeance is his Um, but you know having COVID and being home last week and and just the whole process of moving and being displaced, if there is any good thing that has come from it, it is that we have not um, had our own place and our own TV and able to watch uh, the nightly news. Sometimes uh, when I'm just in the normal flow of things, I tend to watch the news sort of on a regular basis. And, I, and I've kept up with some things on my phone or on my iPad. It's not to say that I haven't been abreast of some things that have, that have happened, but, but I haven't ingested nearly as much news as I typically would have in the course of a day or a week's time. And I found that to be somewhat refreshing. You know, you can watch CNN or you can watch Fox News, and they can take the exact... Same event. And you will hear two completely different outcomes. Am I right? Um, in, in Washington, they call that putting a spin on things. Uh, if, if the news of the day, if politics is not all that palatable or doesn't taste so good, they will hire what they call a spin doctor. To come in and um, to sugarcoat some things so that so that things sound a little bit more digestible. We all do that from time to time. We all, at times, will put our own spin on things. Um, For example, a man a man went to the doctor for his for his annual checkup, a complete checkup, and after the checkup was done while he was getting dressed, the doctor talked to his wife and said, your husband has a very, very serious medical condition. He developed a disease that could very easily take his life. And the doctor told her that her husband could not do any work at all. She was going to have to basically wait on him hand and foot. He also had to have a special diet in that he couldn't have anything that was was canned or frozen. Everything that he was to eat was going to have to be prepared from raw food and then processed and then cooked. But also he was going to have to eat six or seven small meals every day. So she was going to have to prepare all of that. She was going to have to help him do everything, Wait on him hand and foot, and so they finished. they got in the car, and as they were driving home, the husband turned to his wife and he said, "Well, what did the doctor tell you?" She thought for a minute for a minute, and she replied, "The doctor said, "You're going to die." <laughs> you're you're going to die." <laughs> she was putting her own little spin on things, you see. Maybe she. Maybe she didn't want to wait on him uh, hand and foot and do all of that that it required. We all seem to put our spin on things. Now, I want, you to, um, I want you to contrast that with the open sincerity of what the Apostle Paul says to us in our text this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians. We read from Romans, but now I want us to look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, the first five verses. The Apostle Paul is is sharing his heart here with the the church in Corinth. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You see, Paul was, was one of the wisest, most talented, talented men who ever lived. He is one of, if not the, most quoted men in history. Shakespeare doesn't come even close to how often the Apostle Paul is is quoted. But Paul wanted people to experience not the power of his oratory, his ability to speak. He wanted people to experience the power of God. Paul didn't want compliments. He wanted converts. So he didn't come speaking in a persuasive way, but he wanted his speech To show forth the power of God. The apostle knew and he had decided that it would undermine the message that he brought. If he just gave the people uh, lots of big words and, and complex logic. That's not what he was about. That's what the Corinthians were about. The Corinthians were very famous for sitting around and. Philosophizing and someone standing in their presence and and spouting forth this or that, but Paul knew that that would, would only weaken and undermine the message of the gospel. He wanted converts, not simply compliments. And so there are some lessons I think that we can pull from Paul's approach to the gospel, lessons that we can carry with us. <clears throat> Along life's journey. And here's the first one, okay? The gospel is true. The gospel is true. That's where we have to start. The gospel is true. It doesn't need to be propped up uh, with big words or, or with logic. We don't need a spin master when we're talking about things of faith, they're real. And that's where we have to begin with. The gospel is true. And we begin with faith. You know, people have come to the idea that that faith is open uh, to personal interpretation. But the Bible never uses the word faith that way. It never uses the word faith that way. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The word conviction there in the Greek literally means proof. It's the proof of things not seen. I don't often read from the King James, but but the King James translates it, the evidence The evidence of things not seen. And I think that really gets to the heart of what Paul is talking about here. The evidence. That's really closer to the the original Greek. The Christian faith. Listen to me. The Christian faith is based upon evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's based upon evidence. There is proof that it happened. And based upon that proof, you believe it. You accept it. That's the word faith as as the Bible uses it. And there is abundant evidence to the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity is not wishful thinking. Okay? Sometimes I think we as Christians, someone says... You know, we say, well, we believe in, that Jesus was risen from the dead. And someone says, well, I don't believe that. And our answer is, well, you just have to take it by faith. And sort of what we mean is that it's like a blind, it's like a blind leap of faith. Like we're, we're, we're not really sure. We can't really prove it. But we just take a blind leap of faith. And, and, we, and we just have to trust. And I think so many times we as, as followers of God, followers of Jesus, that's our own mindset. Well, I don't, I don't know if all this stuff is true, but, but you just have to you just gotta take it by faith. That is not the Christian faith. Hear me when I say this. God has never asked you to take a blind leap of faith. There is proof. There is evidence. That the resurrection of Jesus is true. No atheist can deny that there was a man named Jesus who was raised in Nazareth. He was a carpenter. He died on a Roman cross. No atheist will deny that. You cannot deny it. There's too much proof in history that Jesus existed and that he, and that he was crucified. The only this is where the rub comes in. What happened after that? What happened after that? What happened to the body? That's where the dispute comes in. Nobody can dispute that there was a man named Jesus and that he died on a cross. But the, uh, the evidence for the resurrection is abundant. And God is asking you to look at that evidence. And based upon that, that's where you put your faith. The evidence will stand on its own. If a person knows the facts and they look at the evidence, then he will be forced to accept that the resurrection of Jesus happened. Say amen anytime you can, okay? Say amen if you can. If if I have to ask you to say amen, I'm going to add five minutes to my sermon. Amen? Amen? All right, there's five more minutes right there. I'll just add that. There was a man named Frank Morrison, set out to disprove Christianity. He set out to disprove Christianity. He ultimately was going to write a book showing Christianity to be false. He moved to Jerusalem. He lived there and he studied for a year. And when he got back home, he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone, 1930. In his desire to disprove Christianity, he found himself to become a believer in Christ. That was 1930. Much, much more recently, a man named Josh McDowell. Some of you may have read his, his things. Josh McDowell set out to disprove Christianity. He did a, he did a very serious research for uh, a book. And he ended up writing a book called More Than a Carpenter. In his zeal, his desire to discredit Jesus, he wound up becoming a believer in Christ. The the, the point I'm making is that the facts speak for themselves. There really was a man named Jesus in history. He was killed by crucifixion. He came back to life after three days. And he was given a new kind of victorious body that could never die again. Hundreds of people saw him. Do, do, you, do you understand that? He didn't just, he didn't just rise up uh, without evidence. Hundreds of people witnessed that he was alive again. And many of those people died And gave their lives because they would not denounce or renounce their faith in Jesus. Who dies for something that they know is a lie? Who does that? Not many. Not many. The evidence stands on its own. The gospel is true. People who don't believe that are just ignorant of the facts. Secondly, it does not need to be apologized for or redefined. The good news of Jesus doesn't have to be reshaped to fit the spirit of the times. It doesn't have to. uh, we, We don't have to apologize for what God has said. But we just need to learn to speak that truth in love. We talked about this in Bible class. Just because you're right about something doesn't give you the right to be unchristlike. Love, kindness, speaking the truth in love. That's what's going to draw people. Jesus said, All men will know that you are my disciples by shouting in the street and telling people that they're wrong. Is that what he said? All people will know that you are my disciples by the name of the church on which you attend. What does it say? All people will know that you are my disciples by your love. The love that you have from one another. That's what's going to draw people. That's what's going to draw people to the gospel. But we should not redefine it or apologize for it. Believing in Jesus can be inconvenient. It can be uncomfortable. It's certainly not popular in our world. But if Jesus was raised then all that he said and confirms to be true is true. I mean, if somebody's going to raise themselves from the dead, I'm going to to put my faith in that person, okay? If somebody is crucified on a cross and then they bring themselves back to life, guess what? I'm going to put my faith in them. I'm going to believe that they're from God and what they say is true. We just don't have to apologize for the Bible. We don't have to apologize for what it says. Someone says they don't like this. They don't like that. Well, then, you know, take that up with God. (laughs) Take that up with Jesus. We didn't make this stuff up. But there is a standard. And it's not open to us to make it up on our own. I think we just haven't realized that we have a king. And the king gets to decide things we don't get to decide the king gets to decide he's been given all authority that's another that's another it's uh, another sermon there's an old article in christianity today <clears throat> uh, writer tim stafford tells about a preacher friend of his who starts each new class with a jar full of beans he he brings a jar to class and he and he fills that jar with beans, and then he asks uh, the new crop of students to guess how many beans there are in the jar, and then on a big pad of paper he writes all their all their guesses, all their estimates, and then after after he gets all of those estimates written down, uh, he he helps them form another list, a second list, and he says, "What what is your favorite song?" He asks all the students, what is your favorite song? So next to, to all the guesses about how many beans there are in the jar, he writes down a list of, of all of their favorite songs. And so then he goes through and um, he divulges uh, how many beans there are in the jar. And they see which one of the of the Students got you know the closest to that guess, and then he turns to the list of favorite songs, and he says, "Which one of these is closest uh, to being right, to being the right answer?" And everybody kind of stops and looks, and the the students say, "There there is no right answer. There is no right answer. You know, a, a person's favorite song is just." strictly a matter of personal taste. It's a matter of personal preference. There's no right or wrong. And then the teacher who who holds a Ph.D. in philosophy from Notre Dame, he asks this question. He says, When you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is that more like guessing the number of beans or is it more like choosing your favorite song? And he says, Without fail from the oldest student in the class to the youngest he always gets the same answer choosing one's faith is more like choosing a favorite song it's more like choosing a favorite song Uh, let me ask you is 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 the christian faith simply a matter of personal preference is it just a matter of personal preference I like this better, I like that better. I mean, um, if that's true, would it not matter if we were a Buddhist or if we were a Hindu? Would that matter? If, if our faith is not a matter of divine revelation based upon the historical event of the resurrection, then why not just rewrite it or, or redefine it or, or, or get rid of it altogether? Just scrap the whole thing. If the Christian faith is true, and I'm saying to you this morning, since it is true, then it's not to be redefined. It's from God. It's not from men. And that brings us to the last lesson. I think we can learn from the words of Paul. The gospel, it gives us power. It gives us power. Look at what Paul says again. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. God's power... Uh, to the Christian is, is not simply you know, gaining strength by knowing something is true. Uh, God's power is not just simply knowledge. You know, filling our heads full of, of Bible knowledge. God's power is supernatural. God's power is always supernatural. It means that it does not come from you. It does not originate with you, but it comes from God. And if it's from God, it is supernatural. Something is happening to you that you cannot do for yourself. Something is, God is doing something in you. Something's happening to you that you cannot do for yourself. Some of you may be familiar with, with, um, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, or or other 12-step programs. Anyone who has ever been through one of those programs, if if there's an alcoholic, he says, uh, the only reason that I am staying sober is because God is keeping me sober. Or if he doesn't believe in God, he's going to say, there is a higher power that is keeping me sober. Because guess what? I can't do it on my own. You see, that's, that's the beauty of the 12-step program. A lot of 12-steppers don't even know that, that those uh, 12 steps come from the Bible. Many of them, of them are not even aware of that. But in essence, that's what, what they're saying. I am powerless. Hear that? I am powerless to say no to this drug or to that drug. I'm powerless, but there is a power that I'm acknowledging that is keeping me, that is helping me stay on uh, the straight and narrow path because they can't do it on their own. The Bible says that God is at work in us. He is actively involved in our lives and in our persons to transform us into the image of Jesus. That's what his power is striving to do in us, to help us look more like Jesus. Jesus called it being born again of water and of spirit, literally being born from above there in John chapter 3. God is exerting power upon us in our lives, in our persons. If Jesus was raised from the dead, God exerts on us the same power used to resurrect Jesus from the dead. Did you you understand that? The very same power that, re, that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit of God. That's the same power that God is exerting in your life. It's, it's not a watered down version. It's not a Holy Spirit junior. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That If you are a blood-bought Christian... You have given your life to Jesus Christ. You were buried with Him in baptism. The Bible says, as I understand it, that you receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit of God. The very same Spirit that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. The surpassing greatness of His power to those of us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places." The gospel is about power. Yet to listen to us talk, you'd think it was about logic or reasoning or persuasive speech. The very thing that the Apostle Paul in our text says is not what the gospel is based upon. You can question and debate logic, but you cannot argue power. You can't argue power. And I think that's where we get confused sometimes. I really do. Our young people grow up. They grow up in the church. They they, they go to Bible class. They they go to VBS every every summer. They go through our youth programs. They go to college, and oftentimes They don't just stop coming to this church, they stop going to church, period. Why is that? I would submit to you that many of our young people have never experienced the power of God in their lives because they have never seen the power of God in your life and in my life. They have never They've never seen, they've never known individuals. They've known a lot of people who come to church. They've known a lot of good people. Give the shirt off their back kind of people. People who know the scripture and can recite Bible verse after Bible verse. I'm not saying that, that, that that's not true. They've seen that, but they've never seen the power of God alive in our lives. If I, were to ask, if I were to ask next Sunday for us to get a line and, and every one of you to line up and, and walk across this stage and, 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 and testify as to what God is doing in your life, how is the power of God being manifest in your life? Don't freak out. I'm not going to do that. Nobody show up for church next Sunday. I'd be preaching to an empty room. Now listen to me. I'm talking to me, I'm talking to me, and I'm not, just, I'm not talking to you. I never, preach, I never preach from an ivory tower, listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to us. But if I were to ask you next Sunday to be prepared to say, this is how God is working in my life. This is how the power of God, the, how I'm seeing it show up in my life. What would you say? W- would you be able to say something? We, 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 we need to figure this out, church. Because the gospel is about the power of God at work in our lives. You see, that's one of the reasons why I think churches are not growing. Why we're stagnant and not just stagnant, we're, we're declining. Is because the world is not seeing the power of god in our lives power attracts people even if it's a negative thing if we heard a if we heard a big explosion back over here a big boom you know what would happen we'd all run to the window and want to see what happened am i right there's something that that captivates us power an explosion that's really, wh- that's really the Greek word for power, dunamis. It's where um, Alfred Nobel got the, the name for dynamite. Come from the Greek word dunamis. It means power. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about convincing someone. It's not about persuading someone. It's about the, <laughs> the Holy Spirit of God at li- alive and working in our lives. Oh, I've got I to gotta keep going. I just find that a lot of people are not plugged into the notion that God is supernaturally working in our lives. Either they've never been taught that, they've never been told it, they've never, it's never been modeled to them. Maybe they've never seen it, maybe you've never seen a man, a woman, so in love with God and the power of God just surging through their veins. Hmm. And yet Paul says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I assure you that God is powerfully working in your life. The Bible says he is. The question is, do you believe it? And are you looking for it? Jesus came and he invaded the world of darkness, the domain of Satan. Jesus bound him and ravaged Satan's kingdom and Satan was powerless to stop him. And he is still powerless today against the power of Jesus. But we don't have the power in and of ourselves. Only Jesus can change people. We do not have the power in and of ourselves. Only Jesus can change people. Only Jesus. Say that with me. Only Jesus. Say it again. Only only Jesus has the power to change the heart of a man or a woman. Only Jesus can take that which was dead and bring it back to life. God is working in your life powerfully. But are you aware of it? Do you know that it's happening? Are you expecting a powerful, miraculous God to work in your life personally? Are you expecting it? What do you want Jesus to do for you today? Do you need peace? Does someone here this morning need hope? Do you need uh, to feel significant in the universe? Do you have an emptiness in your soul? Jesus is well and he is alive and he is here today to fill your life, to give you abundant life. If you need it, if you need to respond this morning, he will work powerfully in your life.